When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Tannehill, under pressure, looking, looking, throwing to the back of the end zone, caught! Touchdown, Titans! Tajay Sharp, penalty marker down! What a catch by Tajay! And this is going to be on the Saints. Two-touchdown game for Tajay. Three-touchdown game for Tannehill. And the Titans will not go away. Welcome to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels. And yes, everyone, we have a move to start out the show with. The Minnesota Vikings have a receiver. They have signed Tajay Sharp. And uh, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network immediately got ratioed uh, by saying that he is the replacement for Stephon Diggs. I don't think he's exactly filling the void, as Ian put it on Twitter. But, uh, Sage, the Vikings at least creating some competition by signing the best remaining receiver on the market. Yeah, they need receivers. They need competition. I believe they're not done i, I gotta think they're going to draft somebody and i think draft somebody fairly high uh, because they really do need uh, a, a top flight other receiver in my opinion so uh, i think they've got their third and fourth guy or maybe they see bc johnson as maybe if they see bc johnson as their second guy i have concerns and i like bc i just don't see the the physical talent the guy that really scares the defense uh, uh and i think you need that at that position we need somebody that can really fly this kid's not that fast he's a four five five guy but he's got very small hands uh i looked up at some of his combine numbers he's a four five five guy and he's got like eight and three eight inch, hand, uh, inch hands or something like that anyway um and he uh, if you look back at his stats, you know, his rookie year, he was targeted 80-some times, 80-plus times. That's a lot, 83 times as a rookie, but he mm-hmm. only had 41 catches. So got a lot of action early, uh, played in a lot of games the last couple of years, and then didn't play uh, and have as many starts in 2019. He only had six starts uh, of his thirteen uh, of his 15 games that he played. So uh, his numbers have sort of gone down each year of the last three years and so obviously the vikings getting a discount they probably like that potential they saw though in year one again maybe that's what spielman saw or, or uh george payton or gary kubiak a couple years ago and they played them they saw a kid uh that obviously was getting a lot of action as a young guy and hopefully that he can return to some of that form yeah and he is not really any type of deep threat as you mentioned he only ran a four 
five five, uh, which for someone under two hundred pounds at the combine is really unimpressive. And he has not been a deep threat whatsoever in the NFL. His longest catch last year was only twenty yards. He only had twenty five receptions last year. So it is a shot at somebody who maybe with more opportunity could put up better numbers. But he is not anywhere in the near of the ballpark of Stefan Diggs or any type of replacement. This isn't like you brought in like one of the trades that we were talking about or that I wrote about. I don't think we got to it the other day, but uh, trading for Brandon Cooks would have been an idea where you could fill a spot of a Stefan Diggs. And a move like this, Sage, with somebody who had put up better numbers in the past and then fell off a little bit and is still fairly young would have been, I think, good if we were taking the long view, because maybe he works out better than you think he's going to, and he becomes a 60-catch receiver, and he's very solid. But in terms of filling needs right away and trying to be good for 2020, I don't see this as doing a whole lot. It sort of reminds me of other moves that they've made with receivers that were down like Kendall Wright or Tavares King or Michael Floyd. I mean, this guy might be, because he's younger, more on the rise, but it doesn't look like it from his numbers. And he had a couple of good games, but overall, you know, not a guy who was a major contributor to the Tennessee Titans offense really at any point. I would like it taking a shot to see if he works out, but if you're trying to be good next year because you signed Kirk Cousins to a contract extension, then this doesn't change the formula a whole heck of a lot. It doesn't, and, and he'll know this offense very, fairly well. That Tennessee offense is very similar uh, uh, to Gary Kubiak's offense in a lot of different ways, and so he will come and have some, some that experience, and 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 uh, and he has played in a lot of football games. But I do think it fills a need. I think the need is the fourth receiver. Yeah, you know what I mean, or maybe the third receiver or something like that. I don't think it fill, fills that need. I don't think so. Uh, but again, I'm not watching him on film and and grading all these guys uh, uh, like. The Vikings are doing, but I don't see him as the number two guy. I see that's probably going to have to come through the draft, um, or you know they're going to have a an interesting offense with a lot of tight ends next year. So I was looking at the uh, wide receivers from last year, rookies, and who made an impact, and whether you can count on somebody who is a rookie to step right in. And of course, again, there's no filling the shoes of a 27-year-old veteran top 15 wide receiver in the NFL like Stephon Diggs is. So there's no just, yeah, plug him in, he'll be fine. The top rookie receiver last year had 59 catches, and that was Deontay Johnson from Pittsburgh, and he wasn't super efficient in doing so. And then Terry McLaurin, D.K. Metcalf, Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, and Hunter Renfro, all guys you've heard of, were all in the 49-58 to range. McLaurin and A.J. Brown were legitimately great last year, like top-notch wide receivers, home run draft picks for Washington and for Tennessee. But out of all of the draft picks who were taken – uh, let's see, I got 39, 40 that got into games and got some type of targets. We only had one, two, three, four, five that were over 50 receptions last season. So tell me this, though, Sage. Is it difficult for a rookie wide receiver to step into a Gary Kubiak offense? Because you have talked in the past about how he makes everybody around him better. Uh, he is great with the tight ends, and the offensive linemen become better when they step into the Kubiak offense. How does that impact receivers? Well, you know, I, I think that uh, everyone's going to be impacted. Let's just start off with, I mean, I don't see, uh, I'm, I'm, we'll see how the OTA thing works out and how many there are and when that is if there is OTAs right so 
Starting Doesn't off, seem likely. I'm, I'm starting off. I'm concerned about any rookie playing, you know, right off the bat uh, a lot. I mean, any offense takes time to learn. It's not just Gary's offense, but every single offense does take time. Uh, and they're and it seems like receivers are they're lost early, like in OTAs. But then as you get into training camp or, or late OTAs, like they can line up and play with you know the other guys. They don't have to be. Uh, you know, sort of coddled uh, and constantly, you know, have the wide receiver coach like, you know, showing them where a split has to be and, and those types of things. They, it, it's very learnable. But if you don't have the off-season work now, that puts it to training camp, mm-hmm. and that means you know, a few weeks before the season, he'll start to have a decent feel for the offense, and that's a little bit concerning. Yeah, and it was disastrous for most of training camp for the rookie receivers last year. Mike Zimmer at one point called them out and said, "You guys better figure out where to line up because otherwise, none of you are making the team." And eventually, like you said, a couple weeks before the season, BC Johnson emerged and he had a good year. But he's not a guy that you're thinking he's going to explode and become the next digs by the well, way B, well bc's one of his best strengths is that he can line up and he does all the right things and yeah. runs the right routes you know you don't tag every single player if i just say why bingo cross that tells four five guys what to do all right so you know if you got the side of the bingo you got the post if you're on the upside you got the shallow you know blah 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 and uh that does take time and, and sometimes guys play early or they just are guys that play because they just can pick things up faster, and they don't, you know, they're, they're that's just the way their mind works, or maybe it helped them that they had a similar sort of, you know, concept in college, and 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 that transition can can just be challenging. So that is one of the main reasons that you know BC did not make a lot of mistakes last year, and and you know before you can actually go out there and make plays, usually you have to line up right and run the right routes, and I think he does a good job of that. So to get a sense for how the rest of the NFL felt about Tajay Sharp. He will make $1 million for the Minnesota Vikings in 2020. So we saw other receivers like Bashad Perriman is going to make $8 bucks. Robbie Anderson, I think, was two years for 20 And those numbers were just too high for the Vikings to match. Even Philip Dorsett earned a decent contract, and they get Tajay Sharp for a $1 bucks. So when you're signing someone at that price you should kind of expect to get what you paid for. And my expectations for him are not super high. And I think you're exactly right that they're going to have to rely on a rookie to step in. And the other guy that they're going to have to really focus on this year, Sage, I think is Irv Smith. I think this all puts a lot of pressure on Irv Smith to take a huge step forward, which I think he has a chance to do. And I really liked what I saw from him in year one. But in the Kubiak offense, I think you're using two tight ends a lot, and Smith has to be more of a downfield weapon than he was last year. Yeah, he he will be more of this offense again. You know, just like any, just as I was saying earlier about wide receivers, you know, in particular tight end, because tight end you really you have to understand running game, you have to understand protections and techniques, and he really did a nice job of of getting in there. Uh, he was the number two guy and slowly worked to where you know he was. Uh, a, a real threat for this football team and, and part of this offense, and so you know he doesn't have that uh, that little window there that he has that learning time, and he'll be right into it. So I, I'd like to think, in particular now more than ever, I don't know about pressure, but maybe more responsibility for Irv Smith this year. Uh, that that you know I think Kubiak will try to find ways, whether it's formations or whatever. Now I'm interested to see if then he can take that next step where he's you know working some receiver type routes. Like yeah. can he do that? Can he be one of those guys that you put on the outside and you can run a slant or a sluggo or you get a matchup on a short safety or something like that or even a linebacker you feel good about. You know, I, I do not know that, but usually this is the offseason, the second, the third year 
where they, they start to see if those uh, those tight ends can do some of the things on the outside because there's just not enough time. A lot of times in the rookie year, you're just working on those you know outside running schemes and, and again pass protection and you're doing all those things. Much less worrying about it, you know, can the guy run a sluggo route or not? Mm-hmm. Usually, that, that takes a few years in the NFL. So I I think it also shows us that it's going to be all about Adam Thielen and whether he can handle the entire load here. I hope he stays healthy. Right, yeah, because last year he was hurt, and other times where Diggs was out, teams found ways to take him away in the past. Well, he's not a a burner, and he's not a massive, he's not Randy Moss, you know, who's 6'5", and crazy long, and and you just had to double team all the time. He's not that guy. He does a great job winning one-on-one routes, but a lot of times, and he makes great catches in traffic, or, you know, in those 50-50 balls. But one of the reasons is he doesn't always get crazy separation. He has just unbelievable pass-catching skills to go up and just take the ball away from people. Right. So he's a good, he's a really, really good player, but, you know, he just doesn't freak teams out of like, oh, we have to play two receivers over here. We have to double him all the time. And to be honest with you, they might double him a lot more uh, if they don't. the Vikings don't have a threat on the other side. Yeah, and I wonder if this means he is more as an outside receiver and we see B.C. Johnson and Tajay Sharp play the inside or if they draft a receiver. I think it's hard for a rookie to play in the slot if they haven't done that before. Um, so we'll see how they work it out or if there's more moves coming. And I, I wonder what you think, Sage. Do you think that this is sort of our next week or so of signings is – Oh, uh, yeah, that guy. I think I've heard of him. They signed a- another defensive end who I had to look up, um, Anthony Zettel. So, you know, like, okay, this guy had a handful of sacks in 2017. All right. I, I tend to think that that's kind of what we got coming for us here. But what are your chances on some other big move surprising us? Well, you know, I don't know. I you, you, I see some random, you know, people have bring up some ideas on Twitter. We should trade this guy, and we have to do this thing. And I, I just know this: we need two corners. All right, I don't know who's going to play corner for this football team next year. Uh, you got to think they need an offensive lineman. Uh, they need a, a defensive end right now. They they you know I guess secured that spot uh, at, at tackle at the signing a, a couple days ago, um, and they need another, another wide receiver. So that they have you know four or five starting spots wide open that need to be filled, and that's hard to find four starters in the draft. So um, to do that, they may have to, you know, sort of what we're saying, you know, possibly get rid of a starter to get two back or go for more draft picks. I, I don't know. This, this team's in a weird spot. They're trying to get cap space, but uh, they they have guys, their starters that are leaving. Uh, and who are the starters that have left right now? Everson, uh, Trey Waynes. Um, Mackenzie Alexander, Mackenzie Alexander, Diggs, Joseph Rhodes. And it's a lot. It's yes, a lot. It is right. A lot. There's five, six starters leaving, and you're not signing starters, and you only have draft picks. Um, so you know they're in a very interesting spot right now, and and uh, you know we'll see how things go as they get towards the season. You want to look at a mock? I got a mock. A mock draft? Yeah. I was just looking at wide receivers, by the way, to maybe talk about some of the guys. And I see there's a guy from Wake Forest named Sage. Oh, super psyched about that. Yeah, Sage Surratt. I like that. I mean, I, uh, I think they have him as the ninth receiver in the draft uh, as a round two type of guy. So, I mean, historically, if you draft a Sage, the data says they'll play 10 years in the NFL. Like, uh, whether they're good or not, I don't know, but they'll play. 
One you know, for one. I, you are. I think you have to be the only sage to ever play in the NFL. I, I believe so. I believe so. There is like a um, a snowboarder named Sage out there. So <laughs> I don't think they're going to have a chance. Obviously, these top receivers. The good thing is that this is a very deep uh, a receiver draft. Supposedly, uh, you know the two Alabama guys right at the top. Uh, you got C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma. Uh, but you know maybe the, the the Vikings have a chance to you know get one of the by the way three out of the top four receivers in the draft are from Alabama according to to this thing yeah how is crazy, crazy is that and then Clemson yeah. I tell you Nick Saban and Dabble Sweeney great coaches just <laughs> unbelievable job of how they get their guys to uh, perform on the field uh, having all these draft picks so you know there's there's some guys maybe it's one of these sixth seventh guys but sounds like there's you know up to ten receivers that could go in the first uh, you know forty five fifty picks. That that was light turbo snark, I think. Uh, Jonathan, for this mock, may we have some NFL music, please? I feel like it sets the mood to break down a mock. So we'll wait until we get it. Sorry, I just threw that at him. All right, here we go. Time to mock. Uh, this comes from Yahoo Sports, our friend Eric Edholm, who comes on the show relatively often. He just posted this. And I thought, what better time, since the Vikings have made a move, to look at now what they're being mocked to draft. So this one's interesting, Sage, because this has Joe Burrow number one and Tua going to Washington number two. I still think this is going to happen. I think it can happen, too. Uh, you know, I saw Trent Dilfer posted a video the other day, or maybe Tua posted, and Trent uh, was, was coaching him. But he looks pretty good uh, coming back from this injury. Uh, he's moving really, really well. Uh, dropping and moving and throwing and and uh, I I the more to a film you watch the more you like him uh, when you're trying to analyze these college quarterbacks. So real quick, what is the number one thing that you like when you see him? He's got great feet. Uh, he's got a quick release. I know he brings all these sort of intangible aspects of what you want in your quarterbacks or the franchise guy, likable, hardworking, all those types of things. Uh, I think he'll be a you know sort of a cons- consistent guy. The only thing I worry about really is injuries. I just mm-hmm. I think he'll be. Uh, I love the way he moves in the pocket and his accuracy is very good and usually makes pretty dang good decisions. So this would mean Chase Young to the Detroit Lions, who have actually low key had a good offseason so far, but I still think they'll be bad because their head coach is a fool. That's kind of how I'm looking at it. But if they get Chase Young, then wow, their defense has a good amount of talent here. Yeah, it's like Jadavian Clowney, sort of, I feel like. You know, he's like, could be the guy that's the, the game changer of a whole. It could change the way a, a defense uh, just works in general, makes the corners better. And, you know, I actually, I'm one of those guys who actually likes Matt Stafford as a quarterback. Uh, and, you know, they got some a couple of good receivers up there, too. So uh, I, the Lions do look like a, an improved football team in the NFC North. Yeah, and he was doing, Stafford was doing well with Daryl Bevel last year until he got hurt, and then that entire team fell off. But that gives them an opportunity to make their uh, Nick Bosa type of move if Tua does end up going number two. Uh, okay, so just to round out the top five, Eric Edholm has Mackay Becton, the tackle, going to the Giants, and Justin Herbert to the Dolphins, who are going to feel really left out of the party if they're not able to trade up for Tua, and I think they should just draft someone else or trade down and keep stacking up talent as opposed to getting Justin Herbert and then roll out with uh, Josh Rosen and Ryan Fitzpatrick and see what happens there. I think drafting Herbert at that point, that just screams to me red flags and this is going to set your franchise back if you don't hit on this. Yes, I've been sort of off the the Justin Herbert heap. Of course, I'll probably be wrong. <laughs> Herbert heap. Of all time. Did you make that up? Uh, Someone no, else make up you know, the people, Herbert heap. People like him as a first rounder. He does have a 
a, a ton of like physical skills, I guess, or tools, but it's just one of those guys that doesn't seem to put together or isn't super accurate and uh, and those types of things. Because you know, he's a very good athlete. He's got a strong arm. Uh, so, but you know, we'll see what happens with him. I find the Dolphins and the Tua thing is, man, if you're a Dolphins fan, they they they're ones who literally started the tank for Tua thing, I believe. Yeah, yep, and that's so, right. and they sort of did try to tank. At least the everyone did, except for the actual players that were still on the team and the coaches themselves. It's Patrick screwed it up as he always does. They didn't tank it enough. Uh, and uh, they're, they're probably going to miss out on two. I, I got to imagine he goes in those first few picks. So the first receiver off the board in this mock draft, Eric Edholmes from Yahoo Sports. He literally just posted this. Uh, so you're learning the picks as I do, scrolling down. Henry Ruggs, the insanely fast, freakishly talented, uh, had a video that came out of him dunking, looking like Allen Iverson or something. It was nuts. Uh, has him going to the New York Jets at 11th. And then C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy being the next two picks. If the Vikings can get one of those guys at 22, you select him and ask no more questions. I tend to think that they won't, Sage. I, I think that those three are a cut above the rest, and when you can get game-changing receivers, you're not letting them slip into the late first round. Yeah, this is where you have to really rely on your college scouting department and say, you know, you don't want to fill a need just with – you don't want to draft a player because you you need somebody, you know, at that position so bad you end up drafting somebody, you know, that you could have gotten in the second round. And so, you know, which one of these guys does, does the, do the Vikings like the most? That might be one of those second or third rounders because they might have, you know, a defensive end need or a corner need. Uh, with that first-round draft pick. So I will scroll down to number 22, Minnesota Vikings from the Buffalo Bills. He has them taking the same player that Mel Kuyper has them taking, which is Denzel Mims, wide receiver from Baylor. And let me quick read you one of the lines in the write-up from Eric Edholm here. He says, he's outstanding on jump balls and back shoulder throws. Don't worry, he isn't a Laquan Treadwell type of project. Uh, my understanding of Denzel Mims is that he's a really, really bright guy, and then he... Just hit a home run at the combine. I mean, he was outstanding. I'll call up his numbers, but he seems like the type of guy who could make an impact right away because of his athleticism. And even if he isn't fully developed, they can find ways to at least get him the football. Um, but yeah, he is six foot three, two oh seven, and ran a four three eight. That I is impressive. Th- I do think with these first round guys. The Vikings don't need a sort of the possession guy. Like I think they need a burner. Yeah. I think they need somebody who can really fly and make this team more explosive. And need some more explosive players. I just lost one. Stevon Diggs was a, a very explosive player, uh, and I think they need to find somebody else. So you know, if even one of these guys, say a second rounder, I, I would think take the faster one. Uh, and uh, because you you just need some more of that speed on this football team. And the Vikings, for whatever reason, love their three-cone drill, and he was in the 90th percentile at that. So whatever that exactly how, means. How I did you know. know that? I should have asked Zimmer that at the Combine. What's Of all the drills, which of the drills do you think is the most important? The Vikings seem to love guys with awesome three-cones. I don't know exactly why, but... They they have a very um, good analytics department, from my understanding, that does a lot of work on this, and they look into what correlates to success with each position for each different type of drill. And for receivers, it's the three-cone. Three-cone for receivers is usually one that points towards success, yeah. And 40-yard dash is not as much uh, when it comes to wide receivers and success. Offensive line, 
Arm length. If you don't have 34-inch arms as an offensive lineman, life's going to be pretty tough for you if you're a tackle, for example. So they're probably not going to draft tough a tackle. Tough for you in the NFL. In general, yeah. you'll, you'll probably just fine. Yeah, well, I mean, depends on how high your shelves are. Um, true. 30 was crazy, too, is people don't understand what 34-inch <laughs> arms look like. But it's, I have no it's, idea what my arms are, but I could reach the, the top of the ceiling to put my daughter's LED lights on her, in her bedroom this morning. Uh, so. you, well, you have the giant mitts. You have the giant hands. And the guys who have the giant arms, uh, I, I don't know what Delvin Cook's are, but Delvin Cook's arms feel like they go down to his ankles. It's just some of these guys. You know, we were had built a player. A lab. You remember Chris Chambers from oh, yeah. Wisconsin yes. and drafted by the Dolphins. So when I got traded down there, Chris had one of the strangest bodies. He had such long arms and crazy long legs. And he had a, like a really short to- torso. You know, like <laughs> his torso was like 18 inches and then that was it. But he, when he, he was the best 50-50 guy. I mean, mm. he could really sky. He had huge mitts, those crazy long arms. And most people thought he was like 6'3 or even 6'4. I was like, Chris Chambers was 5'10 or 5'11. Like, he wasn't tall. He just had crazy uh, uh, long arms that you know sort of made him taller. And, and for offensive linemen, he had, especially for tackles, right, you want to have, be able to, to keep guys away from you. Yep. Um, and, uh, and you know, and, and you know, if you have short arms, it just makes that whole, that job a lot harder. So Delvin Cook, I looked this up, has thirty-two and three eighths inch arms for someone who's five foot ten. So that puts him in the ninetieth percentile. He's got these these crazy arms, but just but you but know, to have long arms, by the way, and to be as quick as he is. That thing about Delvin, he is both quick and he is fast. Yep, he is fast. Like he just. You know, when he runs a post chart, he doesn't put on some big stick at the top. You know, it's just this move and then hit the post. He just sort of just goes. Mm-hmm. And you see, you're sort of not always supposed to do that. But if you're super fast and you know you can just be faster than the corner, you can you can do that. And he, he regularly outruns the corner uh, when he just hits it to the post. And, and he's got that speed. And, of course, all the underneath stuff, man, he is extremely quick. And just to tell you how the NFL Combine is not real football, Delvin Cook had a terrible three-cone drill. Like, about as bad as you can have for a running back. So, he's one of the best in the NFL. It definitely doesn't tell you everything, but it's sort and, of something and, that we have to look at. And then there's the drill that's like the the agility drill. What do they call the drill where it's three lines and you go, like, left the to the line? the 20-yard shuttle, maybe? The 20-yard shuttle? Yeah. I think he was terrible that. at that, too. Got you. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what they. I wonder if like that one for offensive linemen seems to me to be like a really important drill because you have to stay low the whole time. You shuffle a lot of mm-hmm. times at the beginning of it. Uh, I wonder if that one. You know, the maybe we'll get uh, somebody on the show sometime uh, and and uh, they'll, they'll tell us what's the most important for each position. Uh, the other pick, by the way, we got to hit the break here in a second. But uh, Penn State edge rusher Yeter Gross Matos. I think it's Yeter or Yeter. I think it's Yeter. Uh, but the guy from Penn State. Uh, so an edge rusher and a wide receiver is who Eric Edholm has them taking. So let's let's take a break. We'll come back. And Adam Schefter has an idea for the draft. And we'll continue the discussion that I think is interesting. And I can't decide whether I love it or hate it. So let's talk about that when we return. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. Hey there, it's Phil Mackey for Federated Mutual Insurance Company. And Federated is here to give business owners out there peace of mind. You pour your life and energy into a business, and the last thing you want is for something to happen that puts you on the defense, and that's where Federated comes in. Based in Owatonna, Minnesota, over a century of experience in standing behind business owners. If you're a business owner and you want some more peace of mind, go to federatedinsurance.com to find out more 
about your local Federated Marketing Representative. Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. If you're set to spend more time at home than in your car over the next several days, you can still listen to Score North three different ways. The free Score North mobile app on your phone or tablet, scorenorth.com, or just by saying, Alexa, open Score North. And during the first segment, uh, news came from Governor Tim Walls that he is issuing a stay-at-home order for Minnesota that starts Friday at 11.59 p.m. Minnesotans will be allowed to will be allowed outdoors with proper social distancing, walking, running, biking. You can also still get groceries, gas pharmacies available. Obviously, this order covers schools, bars, and restaurants now extended to be closed until April 10th, maybe longer. According to Tom Hauser down at KSTP Channel 5, among essential workers defined by the governor, health care, public safety, child care, food, and agriculture, news media, energy, water, and wastewater. Again, a stay-at-home order has been issued by the governor that will start at 1159 p.m. Friday night. We will continue to keep you informed on the developments from the governor's office. Here. Let me just chime in, Jonathan, because yeah. uh, Governor Walls just tweeted something, and mm-hmm. I thought it would make sense to read it. He just tweeted, these are trying times, but we are Minnesotans. We see challenges and we tackle them. No matter how daunting the challenge, no matter how dark the yeah. times, Minnesota has always risen up by coming together. If we unite as one Minnesota, we will save lives. Hashtag stay at home, Minnesota. So thank you, Governor Walls, for doing that. This Mm -hmm. is really important, and uh, no one puts that in perspective better than Carl Anthony Towns, who it was very difficult to watch his Instagram video last night talking about his mother dealing with coronavirus, and it is serious. This is not something to mess around with, so take this very seriously from Governor Walls. Um, there's your PSA from us. Thank you, Jonathan. Now let's back get back to football, okay, Sage? Can, can, I, can I say something yes, really, really quick? Yes, please go ahead. Um, you know, my, my girlfriend is a nurse anesthetist up in Minneapolis, and I think she told me about three weeks ago we should shut the whole country down. Yeah. Three weeks ago, because they just know that if you just do that for a it's like doing doing the hardest thing early it's you know it's like you feel like you're over overdoing it but the earlier you do it the 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 better it's going to be and the quicker it's going to recover later on i feel like we're slow playing this thing and i'm happy that the uh the minnesota governor made that decision to you know try to try to slow this thing as as much as possible one thing that governor waltz did say while you guys were talking in the first segment that the re- one of the main reasons they are doing this now is to basically push back when the peak will hit when this happens, um, and it gives them enough time to get more ventilator, more ventilators, more PPE equipment in the system, more beds. There, there. One of the things that he also did mention is that they're turning state arenas and stadiums into basically extra hospitals to create more beds wow. to use in this wow. situation. Yeah, that if it already hasn't hit home with you how serious this is, turning stadiums into hospitals should really tell you. So stay at home, listen to Purple Daily. We will provide you with football content. Trust us and don't go outside. <laughs> Just yes, stay do at home. You can. Uh, stay at home. Love your kids. Everyone, find a way to get exercise. It's interesting how you know a lot of people's lives have changed a lot. And I'm sitting here for myself. Of course, my life has changed plenty. But you know, I do this radio show from my house, and mm-hmm. uh, usually my kids are at school. Now they're home, and uh, you know, ordered a couple of desks yesterday to be delivered uh, and next week that because they're going to start up school. So life is, is different for everybody, but uh, we got to do all this. We got to do it together. And uh, the more the more we do it together, 
again, you know, shout out to the health care workers out there uh, and the professionals who are putting their lives at risk. They don't have the equipment. I I just want to say that. They don't have enough equipment uh, for this thing. They don't have it now, and they're not going to have it in the future to get through this thing uh, wearing the stuff you're supposed to wear mm-hmm. when you interact with people who do or don't have it. And, you know, if somebody comes in and, you know, still has to have a surgery or whatever it might be, they don't know if they, they have the virus because they haven't been tested. They don't have enough tests, so they're only using them for people who they really think might have it. Um, so it's uh, it's a scary situation to be in. And shout out to them. There are, there are soldiers in this thing, and the more we can all do our part, the more actually not just you know saving our parents and and the people that are more at risk for this thing and there are other their, their kids now i think a few kids have died um but uh but those nurses and doctors and the healthcare workers um i'm thinking about them every single day yep and uh from a personal level uh my dad worked in healthcare for a very long time my mom is a teacher and i worked at a grocery store so those are three of the occupations that are really being impacted and the people who are still going to work every day at grocery stores and putting themselves at risk to stock the shelves for all of you people uh from more than six feet away thank them okay because that job is never easy on uh, i can tell you for sure on christmas eve it's not easy to work at a grocery store but imagine what it is now going to work every day not sure if you're going to be infected with the virus or not um, yeah so. and, and thank you for everyone who is out there because they have to be out there because they are necessary and and to keep this country going as much as it could keep going and and uh and people that are delivering food and people that are working at restaurants uh i you know i thank you from my heart uh and uh so um we're going to get through this thing i think and and we talk about football and these cities that don't like each other and teams and blah 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 but um we are all connected in this i think this this sure shows that we're all in this thing together and it's nice we get to come up here and talk about football and, and disagree about the vikings versus the packers and who this and who that and who they should draft but uh there's you know it's it's a nice escape from the reality but in the reality is all very very much connected and, uh, and i think that's uh, showing itself more than ever yes very well said so let's get back to some football now um but that is your and speaking of that should the nfl news. draft happen yes <laughs> that's, <is> that, <laughs> yeah. uh, should the nfl draft happen and go ahead with your adam schefter yes go ahead jonathan the carolina How about having one round of the draft on every night? So we have seven nights, seven rounds. Basically, it's the Hanukkah of NFL drafts. That's what you're talking about in time. And there's no rush to get through anything. It gives teams on the clock more time. It's not like coaches have to have players in mini camps. Next week, they don't. There are no mini camps. There's no off-season program. There's no other sporting events on the calendar. Have the draft occur one round per night for one straight week. And every round would be a big deal that week. Uh, does that hit home with you, my Jewish journeyman friend? <laughs> I think we should have a draft where we do it. It's like a season. So it's three months long, and <laughs> each player gets an hour. So you get drafted. You get an hour. They're going to interview. They're going to talk to everybody in your family. The they're going to talk about feature. each player for seven rounds. <laughs> do this, and it's going to end in late July, and boom, we're ready to go. Oh. I think that's what they should do. You know, uh, I, I don't know. I think... I think three days. It's going to be weird. Obviously, there's not going to be all the fans there if if they do continue to have, which I, I think they will. Again, I think everyone just trying to go about business, like to, to continue. If you can do a business, uh, and you know the real NFL business is obviously the games, but all this other stuff, you don't have to have really the team together. So I, I actually do think the NFL should continue 
uh, to try to do as much business as possible. One of the th- these things is going to be the draft. It's going to be totally different. Uh, you're definitely not going to get the Roger Goodell hug, I, I can't imagine, <laughs> uh, up on stage. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I think that uh, three days was plenty of football and plenty of analysis and um, you know, f- for me, it was two days when I was growing up. It was a it was a Saturday Sunday deal. Now they went to prime time. So, uh, do you like the the seven day Hanukkah draft? A uh, uh, proposal by Adam Schefter. My plan would be a little bit different than that. I don't mind spreading it out more than it was spread out before because the first round does go on forever. I mean, it it is an extremely long night by the time we get to the thirty second pick. So I wouldn't oh, even there's mind. No other, there's no other sports to compete with. No, no, not at all. So they There's can nothing else to right, right. They can spread it out as much as they want, and it will go over fine, and people will watch it like crazy. I think that if they did the top ten of the first round in one night and really broke down the players and everything else and got lots of perspective, they could still make it a pretty significant TV event because it takes so long even to get through those first top ten. And then the next night they did the rest of the first round, then the second round, and then the third round. But the fourth through seventh. Those go pretty fast, and people don't know who's being drafted. And and not that they wouldn't watch because there's nothing else on. I just don't think that that needs to be a separate day. Like, all right, we're back for the seventh round. And, yes, they have drafted an Aussie rules football punter. (laughs) Like, you know, I don't need that. Well, you know who also wants to get the draft over are the coaches. You know, I mean, and and the scouts and all of them. Yeah, they they they, want to get started on this thing. The scouts work on this thing literally for, like, the whole year or even years in a sense of going back and watching these guys uh, uh, when they were sophomores and juniors. And so – uh, you know, it's at one point. It's, at some point, it's like, listen, we don't need forever to to think about this sixth round draft pick here. So I think they like <laughs> it when it gets sped up at the end, and you know, for the most part, players just sort of scroll across the bottom more than, of course, yeah. all of them being some big inter- introduction with with each draft pick. Yep. So after the third, I could take it or leave it, but I do think breaking up the first round or even to the first sixteen and then seventeen through thirty two is not a bad idea because that is. So compelling. And the second round also remains where people drop into the second round. There's surprises and and things like that. Once you get to the third, fourth, whatever, then you know who less of the guys are and it's not as fascinating. And Rick Spielman will trade down and down and down until he has the entire seventh round to himself anyway. But, uh, you know, I, I do like the idea, though, here of taking the draft and making as much content out of it as possible because with the news today here in Minnesota, Sage, it just doesn't seem like we're getting our sports back anytime soon. No, and I, I think pushing it back it makes sense, and here's why. If they could do it in later May or even in like early June or something like that where possibly this thing has calmed down and there may be, uh, hopefully, but it may, there's travel at that point or maybe there's just, I mean, a situation you can have a TV camera in your house, you know, for yeah. some, that's the first yep. pick of the draft, right? Like it'd be nice to try to make it, as normal as possible again you know whether they have fans or not or whatever but um having it i think right now it's going to be the height of this thing too right it seems like to me right that's it's in it's in a month it's in basically four weeks and you know they say new york in two to three weeks that's gonna be the height of the new york issue possibly 
uh, and then other weeks might be a couple weeks after that. So, um, you know, now we're at, that's right around the draft. So if I were them, I'd try to push it back as far as possible, and hopefully our, our country is starting to recover by then. All right, so I have some other news before I get to one other thing I wanted to talk to you about, uh, and it pertains to the Viking schedule. But Diana Rossini of ESPN tweets this, The Washington football squad shopped Trent Williams leading up to the NFL Combine, and uh, days after the Combine, the club allowed Williams' agent to seek a trade partner. Since then, Williams' agent found a team that wants to do business to get Trent Williams, but that uh, Washington does not want to give him away for small value in return. So we seem to be at an impasse. And she also reports that Washington has been inconsistent in their ask for Trent Williams. Chances that the Vikings are one of the teams uh, that is interested in Trent Williams. To me, it seems like there's there's a, a decent shot there considering how good he is and how much they need a left tackle. Well, he's going to need a big contract. He's yes. going to want the big contract. So, you know, but it would be an upgrade at that position. And he was trained in this offense. You know, Washington early on, he was those early draft picks of the Mike Shanahan era. And so he is sort of designed in a lot of ways for this offense. He's a, but he's also a very good pass protector. So he's a guy that is athletic. He can run. He can uh, do that outside zone stuff. You know, you know, big Bryant McKinney, he was a pass protector. He wasn't a guy that was great, you know, running in, the, in those types of things. He was just so big, mm-hmm. uh, but this guy really is a, a very, very good athlete. But he's also going to want a big contract. But if you can somehow make maybe make that trade where, hey, you know, we we trade left tackles in a sense, where it's you know this guy one guy's cheaper, one guy's whatever. He's not quite as good, but you know they can you know and maybe a draft pick or something, and they get something else in return as well. Maybe that would you know that would work. So. Uh, the the Vikings you always can sort of you, you basically always can upgrade at the left tackle position unless you're about you know seven football teams in the NFL if, you, if there's a better guy out there it would definitely make the quarterback better in particular with with Kirk Cousins. Now Courtney Cronin reports that the Vikings are interested in Williams but they're waiting to see if he gets cut because why give up a draft pick if Washington can't find a trade partner with anybody else so it feels like this stalemate is going to continue to go on for a while. It's just felt to me like something else is in the works with the Vikings, whether it's that or there's another big move that's coming. That well, the thing with the the draft picks, by the way, is you know we they got these nice draft picks and and uh, so they're going to have two first rounders, but you know some of that they can be traded for maybe a starter, mm-hmm. you know, two that's maybe on the last year of their deal and they haven't you know re uh, re upped with their team and. They can, you know, get somebody via trade and not just, you know, you know, through the draft with with these extra draft picks. Right, and so we'll see if that plays out that they end up with Trent Williams on the team. I wouldn't be terribly surprised if they do. If he does ultimately get cut by Washington, or if they have to accept some sort of fifth round draft pick, and maybe there's a something in there where it moves up to being a fourth or a third if he plays X number of snaps, you can do things like that. Um, so I guess we'll keep an eye on that situation now knowing that uh, Courtney Cronin says that the Vikings have been interested in Trent Williams. Though I don't see why anyone wouldn't be considering how good he's been over his career. Um, all right, Sage, another thing I want to do with you today is I wanted to look at an article that I wrote uh, about the Vikings' strength of schedule and how it's changed. And this is a thing that I don't really ever think about as free agencies going along like oh, okay this team got that guy and we'll sort of assess what it all looks like as they get ready for training camp or as they're done with training camp and then we'll decide whether we think their schedule is tough or easy but a fascinating number of moves by teams 
who will play the Minnesota Vikings this year, including the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And we go from the possibility of the NFC South being horrendous to now the NFC South being really strong. I mean, I didn't think Matt Ryan would retire, but if it was only Matt Ryan and then no Drew Brees and Taysom Hill is the starting quarterback in New Orleans, and if Teddy had not gone to Carolina, and if Tom Brady had not gone to the Bucks, you would have been talking about running through the NFC South and possibly sweeping it if you're the Vikings. Now you have to face Brady, Brees, Ryan, and Bridgewater. That's, that's a pretty big change for their schedule. This division has consistently been one of the best and most consistent divisions in, in the entire NFL for uh, the last decade. I, I think they had a stretch of like nine straight years where they had a different division winner every single year. And and each team had won it like at least twice or something like that. It was, you know, it'd be the Saints and then, you know, Matt Ryan had their, you know, their great year in their Super Bowl run. Uh, the Panthers obviously had a Super Bowl run themselves in some really good years, and and you know Tampa sort of has been that fourth team that hasn't been as, uh, you know, as good. But now they got Tom Brady, and they they, they to me look like a a very very good football team, and and so you know that is a very very tough division. The Saints, I saw a great tweet the other day. It was like you know trying to think of who the Saints are going to draft and and look at their need. They don't have a ton of needs. Mm-hmm. Like they've got so many good players at their positions. And uh, they just got Emmanuel Sanders, another good receiver for Breeze, and and so you know they, they that is a stacked football team. I do think Carolina will be better, uh, you know, j- just having Teddy at quarterback, and I do like Matt Rule as the coach. That's going to be interesting. I like Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator. Um, you know, Atlanta might be the the fourth best team in, in this division right now. Uh, you know, I think you know they they just let let go of Devontae Freeman, their their tailback. And and so you know that is that has always been a very very tough division. And I imagine it'll be you know probably the the second or third best division in all of, of, of the eight divisions of the NFL next year. I think the NFC West uh, with Seattle, uh, San Francisco, oh, yeah. the Rams, and, and the and the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals will be better. I think that is the best division of football. So, and then there are other teams. So those uh, of course New Orleans is better because they get to keep Drew Brees, and Tampa Bay is significantly better because they have Tom Brady and not a guy who throws thirty interceptions. Well, the thing with New Orleans, by the way, is you know when the the, the uh, I was going to say the Music City Miracle, the Minneapolis Miracle, uh, in that game. Thanks that for was bringing the, up the Music City Miracle. By the way, <laughs> uh, the forward the pass. I don't. I think I was right down the line. Um, forward pass. Which the forward pass? I guess it was uh, a forward pass. But one thing about that uh, about um, that team, that Saints team, was like man. They're so young, though. They had all these good first and second and third year players yep, yep. Uh, that you just knew in a couple years, like they're they're going to have a. That's like you know, is Drew Brees going to retire? And I'm like, he is, you know, on this football team, and he's of course he's in great shape, and he can still play at a high level. But he is on this team that had a, probably a chance to win the Super Bowl that year of the Minneapolis Miracle. But they were going to have a now a four to five year window that was just starting that now we're sort of like right in the middle of. So uh, you know that is a I think that may, might be one of the the favorites out of the NFC other than maybe Tampa Bay. I don't know how much the Tom Brady move um, really you know puts people think Tampa Bay is going to win. You know they won seven games last year. If they win you know, eleven games this year, I don't know if Tom Brady makes that big difference. I know turning the ball over 
as much as Jameis Winston did, you will you will not win very many. Yeah, fo- I, I think it will. Fo- I think games. it will be a big difference because of that. Because it's not a small difference in the turnovers. It's one of the best ever at not turning the ball over to one of the worst. Uh, yeah, and and that right there is still going seven and nine and having a positive point differential when your quarterback is just bleeding turnovers all the time. I think is a big deal. And they just re-signed Indomitian Sue today, which helps kind of shore up and keep their defense in a good position. And their defense was it had some wild numbers last year that in terms of efficiency and yards given up, they were one of the best. But in terms of points, they were one of the worst because Jameis Winston was giving up field position all the time. Well, and imagine you're you know, you're a free agent. You're one of these guys who's not going to get a, a ton of money, and you know the. Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers are offering you, you know, two million, and someone else is offering you two point three, and it's like, well, I'd rather go play for Tom Brady uh, in, in Tampa, in Tampa, and, and of course, no state income tax too. Uh, but uh, you know, go play for him. You're going to be in the hunt. Uh, you know, they have two obviously starters on that team, but man, you could be the third guy and, and you know get to the Super Bowl and then get that really big paycheck, you know, right after that or something like that. So uh, he's a, he will attract free agents and attract guys to stay. Uh, when when somebody like Tom is add to your football team, it makes you go, you know, maybe we'll just stay at home, take that one year deal, uh, rather than trying to test the wires of free agency. So I want to ask you about something else before we wrap up. There was a story about Darius Slay and why he didn't get along with Matt Patricia. And I looked up on thesaurus.com idiot for different ways to describe Matt Patricia. Uh, came up with dumbbell, dunce, kook, muttonhead, nincompoop is underused, and pinhead. So that's about what I think of Matt Patricia and what he's done so far in the league. And this story <laughs> from Darius Slay uh, makes it even worse This is you. I, this is I already what, this thought. Is your- this is your views of Matt Patricia. That is I don't my have view of that. Matt Patricia. I don't yes. have that strong enough views of him other than that uh, he could go for a, more, a longer walk every day, uh, probably <laughs> eat healthier. Uh, his beard looks sort of nasty. I sort of like the pencil thing. I like I like when everyone has their own little shtick thing. Yeah, but, you, you uh, need something he, like that. He obviously hasn't done uh, too well in Detroit, but I'm not going to go... Uh, all that, all that far, and and uh, I'll say all the things that you just said. Well, um, I will because he took over a nine and seven team that was supposed to just need a defensive head coach, and he's done nothing but lose and lose, and apparently treat people horribly. So I, I wanted your uh, your take on some of the stories that Darius Slay told. By the way, the the, the former uh, Bill Belichick assistants from Charlie Weiss. Uh, you know, who went to Notre Dame and was great, like in the first couple of years, and they gave him this crazy extension. Yep. Um, and then you know, uh, then he went to Kansas or whatever. Um, and then who else do you have? Um, well, uh, Ted Cottrell didn't exactly work out as a head coach. No. And, uh, we'll no. see if Brian Flores does. Bill O'Brien, everyone thinks yeah, he's, right. is absolutely crazy right. at this Let point. Let me call and back up my idiot thesaurus all, words. All those things. I mean, they're sort of they sort of go. <laughs> Uh, on and on and on. Um, Nitwit, so. that'll work for Bill O'Brien. So uh, here's my question, though. It seems that the common thread is that they don't get along with people and they don't have the credibility to treat them as uh, badly. And I'm not saying Belichick treats everyone badly, just that if you're going to be that hard ass and you're going to rip on everybody and, and be super critical and everything else, you might have wanted to do something first uh, to have that I sort think- of credibility. Well, I think when Belichick started coaching for the Patriots, you a lot of coaches had his sort of style in a sense, as they were 
sort of hard on players. They made practice sort of miserable. I mean, working for Nick Saban on the practice field, I mean, it was miserable in a sense where they was super physical. It was cranky all the time. It was, you know, it wasn't, you know, nothing was fun. Meanwhile, now, you know, Seattle, they're a team that has like competition Wednesdays where they do some sort of competition game to compete, you know, offense versus defense Mm -hmm. or yada yada it's you know i think that it's hard to come into the league now 20 years later uh after you know belichick got that patriots job and have that same personality right off the bat i i, I just think it's young people don't respond to it and young people i mean you know 25 year olds shoot the 35 year olds don't like it either the guys who are near the end of their careers or 30 year olds because you know it's like man i've you know put a lot of work and i've made some money mm-hmm. and now i've got this guy who's just making life miserable Belichick can do that now because he's always done it, but yeah, it's just so hard to do uh, uh, and have that mentality that he has. It just doesn't. It's not going to work other places. It's why Andy Reid's assistants do better because he's a super likable guy. Yep. It's also probably um, in the you know the West Coast offense and, and you know that sort of world. There are a lot of times a little bit more uh, you know less negative and you know pain in the neck and and i think just that style just isn't will not work with his assistance uh with with people nowadays yeah and if you think about the people management this was a point that was made on the pff podcast i should give them credit for this the forecast podcast but people management has cost some teams some pretty darn good players this offseason stefan diggs is somewhere else DeAndre Hopkins is somewhere else, and Darius Slay is somewhere else, and their new teams are going to benefit greatly. And if they manage those personalities better, then you're going to see a lot of success in other places, in part because you couldn't get along with them. And I, I, I don't think that that's, that's really a great way to do it, is when you have people leaving and then telling the stories of how bad it was to work with you. That's not, that's not what you want if you're uh, the Detroit Lions. So. It is. It's it's yeah. it is it's extremely important for players and coaches to get along. And uh, players don't play their best usually when they don't they don't get along with the head coach, they don't respect each other, whatever it might be, and and uh, the people business aspect of the NFL is I, I think understated and you know, I think it's mm-hmm. one of the reasons everyone likes Gary Kubiak. He's you just can't find somebody that doesn't like him and, and the, a lot of times those guys I think they have success uh, but also they, you know, coach for a long, long time, and they, their their teams consistently do well because he's a guy you want to play for. There was my first two years in Houston. I shouldn't say my my uh, my second, third year. Um, we really had nothing to play for at the end of the season. We were like eight and seven, and we would go play a team that needed. Like, I think we went play the Bears one year, and they needed the win to go to the playoffs, and we beat them. We had nothing to play for mm-hmm. other than trying to get our eighth win or trying to get our ninth win or something like that because we were playing for the coach. We knew it was important for Kubiak to have a 500 or above 500 record, and that that, that meant something to us. If it's a coach that you don't like at all, you say heck with it, and you end up the season you know 7-9 or whatever, and it doesn't look very good. You end up with sort of a, a negative feel to the end of the season, and, and having a likable head coach, especially at the end of the year, that's really, really important for a team to get those those final wins of the season. And I may or may not have an article coming soon about Koobs and how he's holding things together. So, all right, uh, Sage, great stuff. We'll get together next Monday, and maybe by then Trent Williams will play for the Vikings. I guess we'll see. Uh, thanks for your time, man. Sounds good.
All right, we'll take a break. We'll come right back. Myron Metcalf, desperate to give football takes, has five off-season takes. I don't know what they are, but we're going to break them down one by one. And then Stephen Ruiz wrote a great article for USA Today about Cam Newton. We're going to talk to him at 3.30. So we will carry on here. The Vikings signed a receiver. You're forced to stay in your home, so you have to listen to us. We'll be right back here on Purple Daily. Minnesota sports fans, we know you're hunkering down, and we are here. We here at Score North are here with you every step of the way through these unprecedented times. Got something to say, something to get off your chest? Leave us a mic drop message on the Score North app. You may even hear it played back on your favorite Score North show on AM fifteen hundred, ScoreNorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. <laughs> It's Purple Daily. I literally look at Lamar Jackson as he's the poor man's Taysom Hill. It's not the other way around. That's <laughs> Every time. that's what we got with Taysom. Every time it gets me. Every time. <laughs> that's so good. Brady Papinga on, I don't know, Utah radio or something. <laughs> it's so good. Play it again. Play it again. Go ahead. I literally look at Lamar Jackson as he's the poor man's Taysom Hill. <laughs> it's not the other way around. That's, <laughs> I like that's what we got with Taysom. like, no, no, uh, I, it's not. I did not mistake myself there. What? I really meant it. How do you have to put just? How do you get to that point where you believe that? Kyle, what, what happens there? How do you get to that point? I read an article once that was really brilliantly written, and it was about. It was more about politics than it was sports. So I'll see if I can sort of turn this into it. But like, eventually, if we have enough takes. We eventually get to one area that is so insane and preposterous, and, and then we think that that works. Like so the, <laughs> the, the political comparison was like comparing things to the Holocaust. It's like you should just yeah. really never do that, right? Just Don't like, ever do it. Right? If you're doing that, then you've reached the point of being so disconnected from reality that like you're lost. And the same yeah. thing, if you say that Taysom Hill is better than Lamar Jackson's, a better version of Lamar Jackson. You are so far lost in your sports <laughs> takes that you just need to hang them up. And earlier this week, Myron, uh, Jonathan and I tried to top that with like uh, an off-season take that would be hotter than Lamar Jackson as a poor man's Taysom Hill. And I don't think we could do it. I don't think you, we got there. You can't. I mean, it doesn't get worse than that. And, and, and my thing is is this. What, is, what do you gain from at this point, right? Okay, I understand the naysayers and the critics at the beginning. They were wrong too, right? But what do you gain right now saying that about the MVP? Like, what do you gain? Like, you're not going to get any credibility. Everyone's going to think you're a joke. Like, I don't understand at this juncture why you still have these people who are like, they have to find a way to convince you that what you saw last season with Lamar Jackson was all smoke and mirrors. Come on, man. Come on. And and he was one of the best passers in the NFL. And yes. It, it's not just that he was a very good running quarterback, which he probably could have made the playoffs just purely. They're all fast. Anyway. You know yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, well, not as fast as Taysom Hill. Uh, but, Get out of here, well, Taysom Hill. Well, he's, he's 30. Like, do you not realize this guy is ancient? Like, <laughs> Taysom Hill sounds like a WCW tag team champion. Like, like what? Like. Hazel, get out of here, man. Stop uh, it. Lamar Jackson was, by PFF, the fifth highest graded passer in the NFL last year and had 113 quarterback rating, which was third only behind Ryan Tannehill's shortened season and Drew Brees' shortened season. So anybody who dropped back more than 450 times, Lamar Jackson was first in quarterback rating. <laughs> 
like that's my thing with uh, you know the the Vic we we weren't in the analytics era when Michael Vick was playing right in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It was it was all about sort of the raw talent and abilities and raw numbers, right? So people kind of look at that and go, well, you know, he he just has an athletic advantage. But when PFF is saying this is one of the greatest quarterbacks in the league in year two, mind you, right? His only full season. He didn't play a full season his first year in terms of as being a starter, and he does that. How does anybody deny it? Like, forget all the other stuff. Like, if you look at that, you have to at least admit that this guy's a great quarterback at this point in his career, and he's going to get better. Like, I, I just don't understand the philosophy of the folks who still want to hang on to 2017 ideas about Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I don't know either. I, I think that if you decided from the very beginning, on draft night or even when he was coming out in the draft, that he wasn't going to be a good enough passer to play in the NFL, A, you didn't watch. Because I watched a lot of Lamar Jackson in Louisville. There were throws that he didn't make well, and all the Ravens did was go, oh, well, we just won't have him do those. <laughs> we'll, just, yeah, exactly. we'll just have him use the middle of the field yes. because that's where he succeeded. His passing numbers were good at Louisville. Oh, can we name all those NFL receivers that came out of Louisville that oh, exactly. year? All those superstars, right? Uh, uh, I don't think that Percy Harvin was uh, playing no. for the... Uh, Louisville Cardinals. How about all those NFL superstar offensive linemen that Lamar was playing? Oh, yeah. And oh, oh he had a great coach, too. It was Bobby Petrino. <laughs> Bobby, Bobby, Bobby motorcycle in a ditch. Uh, I'm going to lie about it because I was with my mistress, Bobby Petrino. That what happened dude, to anybody. That guy, <laughs> that guy was the coach. So I had a chance to see Lamar at Louisville. I was covering a Louisville, Kentucky game, I believe it was, and they played that weekend. So I went to the game and, um, the speed, kind of like right there, you could see it. I mean, you watch a lot of football. Like, you could see there was something different in terms of just the way he saw the field and just his ability to make plays. And you could see right there, you were like, oh, my goodness. Once he gets NFL talent around him, look out. Right. Look out. Right. Yeah, I know. And, and I mean, you put up Heisman performance. Also, running quarterbacks have consistently succeeded in the NFL throughout yes. its history. It's it's so funny that, you know, we'll say, oh, you know, you it's only the pocket quarterbacks who have ever done anything. And like, really? Every guy who ever earned a chance won a lot. <laughs> Michael Vick exactly. may not have been the best person at times, but uh, he certainly won a lot of football games without being even anywhere near as good as Lamar was well, last year throwing the ball. And you think about Michael Vick and what you just said. Uh, to me, he's a lot like Mike Tyson in that imagine if, because by, by his own admission, he, he, was, he wasn't studying. He was just like out there using his athletic gifts uh, with Atlanta, right? He was just that good. He'd go home and do some terrible things. But imagine if you got Michael Vick like focused, right? And, and really just focused on football away from the other stuff. Like I think that's what you're watching with Lamar Jackson. People discount the cerebral element. Mm-hmm. of what he's doing. Like, there there are these people who think, it, just put a guy out there who's pretty fast and athletic, and then you can do what Lamar Jackson is doing. How stupid is that? Like, how, how do, like every, every coach in America at every level would find their fastest guy and just put him in that position if the position were that easy. Are you serious, what, man? And, and this is the that. NFL, dude. What, what are you talking about? What's so crazy about uh, making any comparisons to him, but especially, I mean, especially Taysom Hill who's thrown like 11 career passes and again <laughs> is 30. Taysom like, Hill. Like, Lamar Jackson can't rent a car yet, and he has an MVP. And, and, and I mean, okay, but uh, so like 
understanding the game, too, and running an offense and everything else and being a leader in the face of a franchise, and these are things that cripple most people when they get to the NFL. And Lamar Jackson just handled it in stride last year. And again, it's uh, anyway, that that comment sounds as much like a downgrading of Lamar Jackson as it is to try to pump up Taysom Hill in some preposterous way. And I even think that what they're doing in New Orleans, even putting a first-round tender on him, is is ridiculous. Like who yeah. who cares about this guy outside of exactly. a? I thought he was good at what he did. He was fun. He was like uh, of he was a poor man's Cordell Stewart when yeah. it came yeah. to being the the you know the tight a broke end. Broke man's Cordell yeah. Stewart. Yeah. More more like if they had used Josh McCown at receiver more often. <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. is Taysom Hill and uh, it's cool as a weapon, and it certainly destroyed the Vikings on multiple occasions. So, yeah, all right, I could see why you'd still want that guy. But even viewing him as the future quarterback after Breeze, to me, is preposterous. He wasn't even a good college quarterback when it came to throwing the ball. Yeah, and that's my, my concern with, you know, if you're pumping up Taysom Hill at Lamar Jackson's expense, A, it shows that you think what we witnessed last year was a fluke. And here's my real concern, Kyle, why I get upset about it and why I get emotional about it is those dudes are still in front offices yeah. across the league. Yep. And here's the thing. It's pretty hard now if you want to keep your job to see the next Lamar Jackson, if there is a guy like that, and overlook him. Now you're going to have more and more guys who go, wait a minute, we don't want to make the same mistake. I don't want to lose my job missing a guy like that. My concern is, is the trickle-down effect from the NFL down to the other levels. I'm concerned about college coaches who think like that. Mm -hmm. I'm concerned about high school coaches who think like that. And now all of a sudden you got a guy who has an opportunity to be molded into a talented, capable quarterback, and you have already denied him the opportunity based on how you view the Lamar Jacksons of the world. And that, to me, is why it's so frustrating. We can laugh about it. Whatever. Taysom Hill ain't going to change anything. Everybody knows he's no Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is set, and he's going to make a ton of money uh, with Baltimore. But just that philosophy still being there hurts guys who aren't Lamar Jackson, who are trying to break through in their high school right now, who are trying to break through in college right now. And they're not getting the opportunity because of this old way of – viewing the position. That's why I think comments like that can be so detrimental. Yeah, and I kind of, um, I guess I go two different ways with this because in one way I think what we've seen is a wide variety of quarterbacks who now are in the NFL. So it's not just running quarterbacks who are black quarterbacks. It's your Teddy Bridgewater who isn't. And even there are less successful backup quarterbacks like Geno Smith who get to win jobs over white quarterbacks. So I think we've made a lot of progress there. But I also don't want to say that at all levels of football that everybody's getting their fair shot. And, And, you know, the fact that they would even ask uh, Jalen Hurts at the Combine, a guy who finished yeah. second in the Heisman and played for two of the best programs and succeeded at both, uh, ask him if he was willing to try out at running back is, is a clear evidence that we have not um, gone far enough. Now, I didn't see any reports that NFL teams actually asked him to do that, but even yeah. that the question has to come up. Like, oh, you're pretty athletic, so you should try out at running back, right? Like, what? Well, well uh, Yes, and I think that's to me is... When when it comes to you know athletic quarterbacks and a lot of quarterbacks who that are that athletic and viewed that way happen to be African American you know minority quarterbacks, my, my challenge with it all is and you know this obviously collar, is that position demands an investment 
mm-hmm. from people who say, look, man, I see your raw ability and I'm going to mold you. And I'm not just talking about obviously the NFL. Once you get to the NFL, you gotta have, you have to have something in order for that investment to be made. But at those lower levels, it takes someone seeing you and going, okay, I'm going to invest in that talent right. and that ability, and I'm going to help mold you and push you along the way, and let's see what we get. And, and I just want more Lamar Jacksons and Teddy Bridgewaters to get that same investment. And and when you hear those comments, when you hear people sort of dismissing what Lamar Jackson did as if he's still just some athletic freak who doesn't really have uh, talent as a quarterback, it hurts those other guys because – the, the biggest challenge as to why you don't see more black quarterbacks at this level is because you haven't seen the same investment at the lower levels. You haven't seen more guys say, you know what, probably a normal situation not put you at wide receiver uh, because that's what we do with guys like you and there's a certain stereotype. But I see some certain gifts in you and we're going to give you a chance at quarterback. The thing that blew my mind was Patrick Mahomes saying he's only played quarterback for six years on the shop with LeBron James. Six years he's played quarterback. He played some safety, he said. He was kind of a part-time quarterback. And then his junior year was when he really took over. Mm -hmm. And this is a guy whose father played in the major league, was an outstanding baseball player, I think got drafted, had all these tools and like the genetic gifts and here's a guy who's like, okay, you're a full-time quarterback as a junior in high school. Imagine the other guys who don't have that, Collar, who right. don't have any of that stuff and want to play the position but don't have people at the lower levels backing them and giving them an opportunity to grow and develop. I'm not saying you just make them a quarterback or give them an opportunity because they're fast or have certain gifts. I'm saying treat them like everyone else and give them that investment. And if you think Lamar Jackson is just a fluke, those are the guys who get stripped of opportunities because of that philosophy about Taysom Hill, you know, whatever you have to say in comparing him to Lamar Jackson. But the crazy thing to me is that people who have been in the game, like the guy with that hot take, uh, who could look at anyone and say, oh, he's just a freak athlete, and that's why he was able to do that. I mean, that is just outrageous because it's such a complicated game. And we see from Kirk Cousins, think about all the things that guy has going for him. And still, there are holes in his game yeah. and, and his leadership and and his decision-making sometimes and things like that that cause him to lose at the NFL level, even when he has so much going for him. So think about what is required to even operate an offense, the pressure that is required, the intelligence that's required. So to downplay that is just mind-blowing to me. And I guess it says that we're not as far as we would like to be. And I always think, Myron, I always wonder how many guys in the NFL played other things that if they were quarterbacks, what would they have done? How about Bo Jackson? Oh, Bo Jackson with that oh, laser man. beam as, as a quarterback running over people? I, I think he would have been like a better version of Cam Newton. Oh my, the, the greatest thing I've heard about uh, Bo Jackson was a scout from the Mets, I believe, went and saw him play in college. Mm-hmm. And I guess he's like on his knees and, and throws it from the outfield, you, you know, the third base or something. You know, like a Bo Jackson yeah, thing yeah. that only he can do, right? So he's supposed to take notes. He goes back to the front office, and they're like, hey, where are your notes? He's like, I don't have any. You don't need any. With Bo Jackson, like, <laughs> there's no need to take notes. After he saw that throw, he put away his notebook. It was like, yeah, we probably want that dude. No, but that's your point. It's, and it's not just you know the, the gifts. The next step is, do you think those guys are smart enough? Because the advantage that the Kirk Cousins of the world have is you trust their intellectual gifts. Right. Even if you don't trust their physical abilities, you think they're smart enough to play the position and guys who look like Lamar Jackson, 
that's a big hurdle they've had to overcome mm-hmm. uh, as well. Is he smart enough to play this role? So anything that tears him down, I'm sensitive to because I understand what that does to other people in that same position. Yeah, And also, if you had seen his uh, offense in college, it really was an NFL-style offense. Exactly. He was asked to go through reads and stuff. So all the criticisms of him coming out were ludicrous, and yet still he lands 32nd, and you know, he's just proven everyone well, wrong, as so many quarterbacks before him have had to do. Was the NFL that different three years ago, Collar? That like when, you, when we were all on Baker Mayfield, mm-hmm. Sam Darnold, I mean, was the NFL that different three years ago where a guy like that, you just didn't think he could lead a team? Shouldn't have been, but I, I mean, well, that's a, yeah, that's a good question because has it really changed just because of what we've seen recently? But I almost think it has to, right? I mean, if you made that mistake, <laughs> well, you might be fired for one if you yeah. made that mistake. If you or if you drafted Mitch Trubisky over Deshaun Watson, like you might just quickly be fired pretty soon. You just had to trade for Nick Foles, so maybe the next GM won't be making that same mistake, or or owners won't be looking for that. But that's another part of it too: is who owns the teams and whether yeah. you can convince those people. We put it all on the GMs. But the owners of the teams have a very close relationship with who their franchise quarterbacks are. And uh, I think, it, as uh, let's see, what was it? The Texans owner a few years ago called them inmates. So, yeah. you know, sometimes yeah. you get the sense yeah. for who they want around them. So Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. What a, what anyway, a wild situation. Uh, real quick, uh, Bo Jackson was on the Jim Rome show when Cam Newton was coming out. And it was very early in my radio career, and I used to have to run the Jim Rome show on the board. And Bo, Bo Jackson was asked about him, because obviously the Auburn connection. And Bo Jackson said, he's a beast. And, and Jim Rome's like, well, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, he's a beast. And, Jim, and then Bo goes, no, 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 you don't understand. Bo Jackson doesn't call people a beast. Yeah. And I'm calling him a beast. Yes, <laughs> so yes. It, was, it was the best. <laughs> take, his, take his word for it, yeah, man. Because like, like, that guy says you're, you're legit, man. You got to believe him. He doesn't get hurt. If he doesn't get hurt in 91, you know, you're talking about the greatest thing we've ever seen in sports history, and we'd still be talking about him, you know. Or even if we had just modern medicine, as we're seeing from yeah. today now. So uh, I gave you homework to come up with you some did. off-season opinions, and we went in a different direction thanks to Brady Kapinga, which thanks, is not Brady. a sentence Sorry. I expected to say. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> why, don't we, why don't we go... Uh, through them quickly, and I'll react okay. to your takes. So you have five off-season takes, and you, that's initially why you uh, joined here because you're yeah. at home and want to give takes. So let's let's fire them away. Okay, I didn't listen to the assignment. I, I did six. Is that too much? I'm sorry. I added another one. Uh, Irv Smith, number two receiver on the roster next season. Guess it's just I, you, I, I guess think, it's just your show. You just do how many ever you want. Sorry, man. You can't you can't you can't give me the opportunity. Okay, Irv I Smith, agree. number two receiver. I agree I think, with this. Yes, yeah, I agree with I think, this. The guy that they yeah. just signed, Tajay Sharp, is a role player, and asking more of him would be a mistake. Yeah. But Irv can take that leap, right? He can make that big I think jump. so. I really like what I saw from Irv Smith and players who come out from Alabama have a chance usually to step right in and do pretty well, and he did. And he's young. Remember, he yeah, was only 20 yeah. years old when he was drafted. So I really liked what I saw, and I agree with that take that he ends up with the second most catches. Tampa Bay to the NFC title game. 
with Brady. I also agree. And there's some people who are downplaying Tampa Bay. Like, oh, let's not get over crazy. It's a tough division. Uh, they were a good roster last year with a horrible quarterback who couldn't stop throwing it to, oh, I just intercepted a Jameis Winston pass just now yeah. in the studio. Um, so, yeah, I think when you can reduce your turnovers by 75%, um, you have a great chance for them. I agree with that. Uh, uh, now, I think he stays on the roster, but I think we are headed toward a Dalvin Cook moment where he demands a trade. Oh. I don't know if he'll be sincere about it, but I think I think he's going to under- realize that you know, they might make him play on this last year of his deal, or or if they do offer him a deal, not the money that maybe he thinks he deserves, and he understands his value, and I think this will get tense here in the coming months. Could be wrong. Hope I'm wrong, but I could see that standoff happening. I'm going to say that not having OTAs and things like that will reduce the amount of pressure, because if he didn't show for OTAs, then it starts to become a big story. But since no one's going to be showing for OTAs, more likely than not, uh, it's just going to sit in the background a little bit, and we don't even know if we're starting training camp on time. I mean, we'll see. That's ways out. Um, But I think that they get something done because they've just made it so clear by their moves and by what they've said in public that they want it to get done, and... That they're going to make that happen, and it's is it a is it the most shrewd of ways to go about it to go essentially to the podium in Indianapolis and say like yes we want Delvin Cook and and then that maybe not um, and the running back thing is certainly questionable with signing them to big contracts but if you're going to keep trying to win with Kirk Cousins you can't do it without Delvin Cook it's just that simple so I think Very they're true. in a position where they've put themselves in a spot where yeah. what can you argue against Delvin Cook saying you need you can't. Right. No, you can't. I'm with you. I mean, you Packers could, game, we saw what happened. Right. You could say, oh, well, it didn't work out for Todd Gurley. And like, okay, well, yeah. that's not that's not a good argument <laughs> to his side, right? So yeah. um, I'm, I'm going to say that that one gets resolved. And they, okay. they always have, even with players where it wasn't the smartest deal, like Anthony Barr. They still figured it out. So, all right, that was what? Number three out of no, however many you Number three. You no, no, I got five. We only got like two minutes. I got you. Uh, <laughs> NFL season starts after Halloween. Ooh. I hope not. I hope not, too. Uh, I'm, I'm but I think say, that's I where not. we're headed. The, the thing uh, is, you can't go into the season without training camp. And I feel like training camp even has to be extended by a week or two because they've had no OTAs. There's only yep. so much video Skyping you can do with these yeah. players to get them ready. Uh, OTAs are a big deal for, for the team out there, obviously not for fans. But to just have to blow those to smithereens and then try to go right into training camp, also without workout facilities and things like that guys are going to need to get back into shape it does feel like we're going to have a delayed season i agree with yeah. that you can play sloppy nba basketball it's going to take those big nfl guys a long time i think to get ready yeah. last one either spillman or zimmer will not make it through the 2020 season Ooh, wow okay so i threw this one out to courtney cronin the other day just via text but you and yeah. i were thinking a little bit the same way i a couple of general managers have been let go after the draft so that's the time to be on alert that something like that might change. And if they don't land somebody that makes them a real interesting team in 2020, I wonder if they decide to go a different direction and say, look at the position that this front office put us in. I don't know that that would be the right move, but you know, the way things are adding up right now does not uh, make you, I'm sure, super excited as the owners of this team about what they've done this offseason. All right, just give me the sixth one. We're fine. I don't know if I like it. I said the Cardinals make the playoffs, but I don't like it No, anymore. I like it. I do like it. I, I don't love I, I like it. I like it. I like it a lot. I think the Rams are going to be terrible. And yes, they're the, done. The 49ers will slip. 
The Seahawks will be great, I think. And Arizona will have the door open. Plus, remember, seven playoff teams. So Yeah, yeah. you trust Kyler Murdo? I do. I think that he is going to be really good. Uh, I like the lot Who is of he things. Like? Who is he like? Anybody? I don't know that he's like anybody because he's just got this amazing arm. And for somebody so short to throw the ball like he does, it's almost weird looking. Uh, because, he, <laughs> you know, it, it looks like a high school quarterback or something because he's so short. And he doesn't yeah. have big big mitts like uh, Russell Wilson, who's got giant hands. And he just flings it. But I was watching some of his throws the other day. Just somebody tweeted them out. It's like, man, you add that with the athleticism and now the maturity of being there for a year. And I thought also that Cliff Kingsbury did a good job of kind of flipping the offense a little bit to work to his strengths after they got to know each other last year. I And then add DeAndre Hopkins to the mix. I like where that team is going. Draft a okay. left tackle. Yeah, that would help. Well, that's six, man. All right. That's six. So we can do this anytime you want, Myron. We are right, open man. for sports biz here and hot takes and, um, you know, Whatever, however many takes you want to give, you just decide, and we'll just give you the space. So, I'm in, man. All right, we'll talk to you on Friday, Myron. Sounds good. ESPN's Myron Metcalf there. Stephen Ruiz of USA Today coming up next to talk about where Cam Newton will land and whether he thinks Cam Newton still has it and could be a difference maker in the NFL. He wrote a great article for USA Today about that. So we will discuss when we return. Here you're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Minnesota sports fans, we know you're hunkering down, and we here at Score North are with you every step of the way through these unprecedented times. Got something to say, something to get off your chest? Leave us a mic drop message on the Score North app. You may even hear it played back on your favorite Score North show on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, or the free Score North mobile app. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Score North has partnered with Ronald McDonald House Charities Upper Midwest to ensure our area children are receiving the meals they need during the coronavirus outbreak. Your contribution of any amount will enable the Ronald McDonald House to continue to provide critical services to families dealing with a child's health crisis, including overnight accommodations, complimentary meals, fully stocked pantries, laundry, and more. Thanks to Luis Arise and the Minnesota Twins, one lucky person who makes a donation of any amount will receive a signed Luis Arise Minnesota Twins jersey. To donate, please visit scorenorth.com, keyword donate. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. The Carolina Panthers screwed over Cam Newton in terms of the timing in which they let him go. If you had let him go, you make this decision, you let him go weeks ago, then there would have been a plethora of teams available for him. The fact that they waited this long to release him, they screwed him over. Nobody's mentioning that, so I will. Stephen A. Smith, and uh, a lot of times if we play Stephen A. Smith, or someone does on a radio station, it's to immediately make fun of how upset he is about something. Um, but I can't really disagree with what Stephen A. Smith said there, that Cam Newton wasn't really given a whole heck of a lot of respect in his exit from Carolina. Now, uh, a guy who wrote a really good article on For the Win, the USA Today site, uh, about Cam Newton, Stephen Rees. What's up, Stephen? I'm upset that you're making me follow Stephen A. Smith. That's impossible. Tell me you don't agree with him, though. Honestly, tell me you don't agree with what Stephen A. said. When I saw the clip, I was like, well, you know, he makes a good point there. No, Yeah, I totally agree with him. And I, I think that the Panthers kind of screwed themselves with how they handled the situation from the very beginning after hiring Matt Rule. They, I think they tanked his trade value months ago. No, that's a really good point. And 
Uh, it's interesting to me, Stephen, that they felt like they should just move on here and go with someone else when uh, even the last time we saw Cam Newton playing healthy, he was playing some of the best like pure quarterback passing um, that we've seen from him maybe in his entire career. I mean, not that completion percentage is always a good sign of, of things, but he was 10% up in completion percentage, at least before he had the shoulder injury. He had, I think, a 22-7 to 7 touchdown to interception ratio. Again, not a perfect metric, but just showing that uh, his passing numbers were starting to increase, and then the injuries came about. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised that they wouldn't want to see it if – there was still some of that version of Cam Newton there after taking so much time off to get, uh, you know, recovered from the injuries that had piled up on him. Yeah, if you're going to take a risk, a financial risk at any position to find a guy that could potentially be your franchise quarterback, I think it's at that position. You take it at the quarterback position. Like, you can afford to take risks, especially if you're in the position where the Panthers are, where they're not ready to win now and they're not fully rebuilding or tanking so if you're just going to be in this remain in the stasis why not give cam newton the best player in your franchise's history at least one year to prove that he's still got something going forward i'm i think i'm in the minority opinion where i think that cam newton's game will actually age well because i think he is a great pocket passer he stopped really escaping the pocket i would say in like 2014 he's been one of the the more stationary quarterbacks in the league if you look at tracking data, he left the pocket like as little as Drew Brees did. Yeah, I mean, his running mostly comes from the design running, right? And, uh, you know, I, I don't know exactly the ins and outs because I don't cover that team of how they changed the offense uh, in 2018 where his numbers were boosted. But it seemed to me like they had decreased the average depth of char- target and allowed him to play in the same way that a lot of NFL quarterbacks play with shorter throws, throws to running backs out of the backfield, getting a lot of yards after catch and operating things that way. And that's where he was succeeding. So if he does go to another team here that gives him a chance to be the full-time starter it looks to me like he can still succeed if you have that type of offense right I don't think anything really changed with Cam in 2018 like you alluded to it was the offense that changed around him and the skill players specifically where he was able to actually throw shorter passes without where guys could turn those into bigger plays whereas if you're throwing to Brenton Burson and Jericho Cotri, you're going to have to do a lot of the work yourself. And he did that in that 2015 season, but to ask him to do that year after year, it wasn't going to work. And then finally in 2018, he got away from Mike Shula and he got it paired up with actually, an actually good offensive coordinator, and we saw the results. And that was with a bum shoulder. His shoulder wasn't right. It eventually needed surgery. I think it got worse as the season went on. He took a big hit from T.J. Watt in Week 10, I believe, and that's when – the stats started to slide. But everything we've ever seen from Cam shows that he's at least an average pocket passer, and I think his ceiling is a very good pocket passer. Yeah, I remember seeing them put in former Viking Taylor Heineke to launch a ball 50 <laughs> yards down the field and thinking – um, maybe Cam might not be 100% healthy. Now, last year, so you went back and tracked all of his throws, his accurate throws, his inaccurate throws, and posted cool, fun charts um, on uh, USA Today's site there. And so uh, I'm looking at the and the conclusion is pretty obvious of where he was struggling to throw the ball last season. And that would lead you to think, if he wasn't throwing successfully deep into the right, that the ankle, the shoulder, whatever it might have been, is probably causing his inaccuracy and his struggles. I guess my question would be, 
do we believe that his body's going to be able to hold up if he goes forward with this? Because, yeah, yeah this could be resolved if, if he's healthy, but the if is such a big if, Stephen. Yeah, I, I agree with the skepticism. I think the point of the post was to show that I don't think it was his shoulder last year that was bothering him because the year before when he actually had the soldier, the shoulder injury, he was throwing well to his right. And then last year he was throwing well to his left also. Like he's making like throws a, a quarterback with a bad shoulder would not be able to make. And if you just focus on the throws that he made to the right, you could see that he was really light on his front foot. That was his, the foot he ended up getting surgery on. Mm-hmm. He was really light on that foot, and that affected his ability to throw to make those throws. And specifically, it made him overthrow. I think seven out of eleven throws to the outside the numbers to the right, further than ten yards downfield, he overthrew. And on the other side of the field, he was actually underthrowing those those passes. So that leads me to believe that the shoulder wasn't really a problem. He, his shoulder was strong, and he had said that last year in September. He said the shoulder is 100% fine. And by all accounts, in training camp, he was he was launching balls downfield. I don't think the shoulder is a problem. It's the ankle, the foot. And the foot the foot injury was only a three- to five-month recovery period. It wasn't that serious of an injury. I would be more concerned about the shoulder, but last year I think showed the shoulder is fine. So now that, of course, leads us to the question, then, who should be looking at Cam Newton? Because, I mean, you make some strong points here that if his shoulder is fully recovered, but it was just the foot, and that is an injury that you can certainly come back from. Uh, I thought it was an ankle, but yeah, it was the foot. And also, just side note, Stephen, why did they play Cam Newton in preseason last year? I mean, this is one of the rule. It's one of the essential rules of the show that every time we get to preseason, I will advocate not playing any of your starters at any point during preseason. And people on Twitter will be mad at me for saying this, but playing Cam Newton in that preseason after he's had such a history of injuries was just a crime. Yeah, I have no good answer for you. I'll say this. Ron Rivera once benched Cam Newton for not wearing a tie on the team plane. So I think that explains his kind of decision-making. And by the way, he benched him for one play, and in that one play, Derek Anderson immediately threw an interception. (laughs) I forgot about that. Oh, that's tremendous. Derek Anderson shows up all the time with just, you know, journeyman quarterbacks, backups. Um, Okay, so best fits, though. I mean, the Chargers are the most obvious here. If you're Cam Newton and you've made a gazillion dollars in your career, you're only going someplace where you're going to be able to start, right? You're not going to go somewhere and say, let's say it had been Chicago instead of Nick Foles. If they had told you, no, Cam, you have to compete with Mitch Trubisky, you just, like, laugh and walk off, right? I mean, so that kind of leaves only really the Chargers as a team that have an obvious starting position open because uh, Tyrod Taylor has really proven he's more of a backup. Yeah, I would I would love to see Cam go to a team that has that much talent like the Chargers do. I, I don't know what they're planning. I think they're going to end up drafting a, a quarterback high in the first round. I'm still holding out hope that he ends up with the Patriots. Uh, I think that team is going to get the most out of him. I think Belichick has been wanting to get a mobile quarterback. He sees how much trouble they've given him in the past. He's never beaten Cam Newton, by the way, and Cam Newton has had two of his, the best games of his career against him. And last year, I think all of their losses were to mobile quarterbacks. Uh, so I think, I think the Patriots are the most logical, like from a, a team fit, I think that makes the most sense. And I would love to see what Josh McDaniels did with a player like Cam Newton.
And I was listening to a debate on, I think, the, the PFF podcast the other day about whether Bill Belichick would tank or not. And I just tend to think the answer is no, Stephen. I mean, usually coaches who have had this much success, they always believe that they're going to coach their way to an answer. And uh, whether it's, you know, with Brian Hoyer as the starting quarterback or if they go out and get Cam Newton, you, you can't tell Bill Belichick, sorry, Bill, you're not really a Super Bowl contender this year. That just doesn't seem to, to fit uh, the mentality of football coaches. So it, it does, in my mind, make a lot of sense for them to get Cam Newton and still try to go for it. And if you're the Bills and Dolphins and Jets, you would have to quell your celebration at that point. Yeah, I've thought about this too. I And I came to the same conclusion. I, I just don't see bill belichick tanking i don't even think he could if he tried like you have bill belichick the gm maybe he maybe that is pulling him in that direction like we got to tank maybe we'll end up with trevor lawrence and we can just restart this dynasty but bill the coach i don't think he'll let that happen he's too good of a coach for it to happen anyway and i if you end up with cam newton and he does he is healthy if i'm right with my optimism and he does end up playing five seven more years like that they can just extend this dynasty I think they're better off with Cam Newton than an aging Tom Brady, to be hmm. honest, because Tom Brady did not look great last year. And, yes, he had a poor supporting cast, but Cam Newton has carried poor supporting cast to the playoffs many times before in his career. Yeah, and it's not like Cam is ancient like Tom Brady is. If Cam works out and gets 100% healthy, he can play for another five, six years at a, at a high level, at least based on recent quarterbacks, uh, assuming that he could stay healthy, which, again, is a big assumption. I'm wondering if you think... That uh, Actually, let me circle back first on the point about Belichick tanking. Super ironic, though, right? Because if you're a general manager, you look toward the big picture and you say, all right, uh, we need to tank. Nobody tell the coach, but we're going to give him a bad roster and go from there. And, uh, you know, maybe that was Miami last year. Like, their management is doing everything in the world to tank, and Brian Flores is doing everything he can to win games. But when you're both the GM and the coach, like, what's Belichick supposed to tell himself not to win? Like, uh, yeah, no punt on that fourth and one we're good bill um you know it's i I don't know that's sort of a weird situation to be in um but i wonder what you think if cam does not find a new place to play can't get a starting job and just does what a lot of other players andrew luck patrick willis uh rob gronkowski if he does one of those things where he just calls it quits and said it's been a good career and maybe he is on monday night football how do we look at cam newton's career Oh, that's a, that's tough to answer. Just because of how the media has covered him, uh, it's such a short career. But it's, I think he has to go into the Hall of Fame. If you're if you look at the Hall of Fame from the the lens that like you can't tell the story of the NFL without X player X, I think Cam Newton fits that. Like it's hard to tell the story of this era of NFL football, of this era of offense without Cam Newton because he was the first guy that became a major part of his team's run game i think Mm -hmm. he he was the only guy until really lamar jackson this past year or two years ago even a guy like russell wilson who he's always been a runner but the the seahawks never really included him they didn't give him design runs they gave him read options like if the defense did one thing maybe he'll take off with the ball but he was never a focal point of the offense and that was cam newton i think you have to put him in that the hall of fame based on that criteria if eli manning is going to the hall of fame you have to put Cam Newton in the Hall of Fame. Eli Manning and May- and Kurt Warner make so many other quarterbacks look like obvious fits for the Hall of Fame, I think. I mean, because 
you know, there's going to be debates about Matt Ryan and Philip Rivers, but in comparison to Manning, I mean, of course, the the Super Bowls, I think they do matter. If you go to a Super Bowl, if you win Super Bowls, that I'm going to factor that in. But when you start to compare it with Warner and Manning's bigger picture careers, a lot of guys start to look like they belong in the Hall of Fame, not just recent players, but even historically. Right. If you're using the narrative, the narrative, point of view the narrative argument then i think that's that's cam's best case i don't think like in terms of body of work or like sustained brilliance i don't think he's a hall of famer i have high standards for my hall of fame like i wouldn't even put a guy like frank gore in the hall of fame for instance but if you're if you're using that to prop up eli manning and even a Kurt warner then i think cam you have to look at his career as a hall of fame career because we've never seen a quarterback like him like he's i don't even think it's an argument he's the best dual threat quarterback we've ever seen he's at least the best running quarterback we've ever seen in terms of statistics and touchdowns and yards. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. Follow him at the Steven Ruiz, and Steven is with two E's, because, you know, there's a million different ways to spell your name. Uh, Ruiz is just how you think it is. The Steven Ruiz on Twitter, a great follow and a very good writer for uh, for the win on uh, USA Today. So, great to have you again, Steven. We'll do it again soon, man. Yep, anytime. One of my favorite guys uh, on Twitter, Stephen Ruiz. Good stuff. Um, it's an interesting point about Cam Newton, and we were just talking the other day about Randall Cunningham and his case. And then today, I want to finish the show with something that I have talked about numerous times on Purple Daily, but seems to come up every once in a while, and I get super offended, and then I have to tweet about it, uh, is when someone makes the point about uh, Sam Bradford and how much money he made in his career. Mm-hmm. Saw this last night. Oh, so you know how much money he made? Yes, it's a, a lot. lot. It's a lot. It is a a lot. <laughs> um, it won't be as much as uh, Kirk Cousins, though. I think. No, but so a guy from NFL dot com or NFL Network or something, Mark Sessler, tweeted out daily reminder that Sam Bradford made one hundred and thirty million dollars to go thirty four forty eight and one, never made a Pro Bowl or All Pro, never started a playoff game. Very possibly lives in a castle right now off the coast in some majestic ocean. He, he doesn't. Uh, we no. talked to him not too long ago. And every time this comes up, and at some point here when things are settled with free agency and we're waiting to see what happens with the draft, I want to talk a lot more about Sam Bradford's career in Minnesota because it is incredibly fascinating to me how the narrative on Sam Bradford would have changed entirely had he been the starting quarterback for 2017, if Case Keenum could be a top quarterback, top 10 in the NFL by pro football focus and quarterback rating in 2017, you can bet your backside that Sam Bradford would have done better than that. And I even remember that there were debates that went on. If Bradford's healthy, do you stick with Keenum and uh, Keenum won more games than Bradford would have that year. No, he didn't. Uh, definitely not. Sam Bradford is one of the most talented quarterbacks that I've gotten to see up close at training camp. His throwing ability, his intelligence for the game, his arm, his accuracy, arm strength. And to a man, players will will line up for Sam Bradford to talk about how good he was and where that could have gone in 2017. And I always get really upset when people make fun of how much money he made and treat him like he was just some garbage bust. He was not a garbage bust. He was not John Elway, but he was not uh, somebody who deserves to be made fun of. And also, it wasn't his fault that the um, NFL was, was set up that way at the time. And by the way, 
Those NFL teams that drafted him still exist, okay? So nobody went under for having to pay Sam Bradford. It's just that in in St. Louis, it seemed like things were going uh, pretty well for him to start, and then the organization pretty much fell apart in terms of their roster, and he wasn't a guy that was going to be like Cam Newton who could get you to 10 wins when the team is horrible. Then he has two knee injuries. He comes back. He's good with Philadelphia. They immediately draft another quarterback because they don't trust his knees. He comes here. He has to start 10 days after being acquired by the Vikings and has an incredible game, an unforgettable game against the Green Bay Packers. It was one of the best quarterback games, considering that Matt Khalil, broken Matt Khalil, and I think Andre Smith were his tackles in that game. And then it just got worse and worse and worse from there uh, in terms of the offensive line and injuries that they faced and so forth in 2016. And then in 2017, when they were a healthy team and Diggs and Thielen were in their primes, we saw a flash from that week one of 2017 with Sam Bradford, and then basically never again. These things are not Sam Bradford's fault, that his organization was trash when he was with St. Louis, that his knee fell apart, that he had a really good chance to be a great quarterback, and it just annoys me when people rip on him for it. Now, I'm not crying tears for him because he made $130 million, but people also don't understand that that doesn't really matter to the guy. Like, okay, Sam Bradford's happy to have made a lot of money, but if I said, I'll cut that money in half and you get to go to the Super Bowl in 2017, I bet Sam Bradford takes that in a second, that he would have loved to have been remembered as a guy who was one of the most talented quarterbacks of the era who finally proved what he could do. And Stephon Diggs weighed in on this, by the way. He responded to the tweet from uh, the guy from NFL Network uh, with this. Let's not forget the teams that Sam was a part of. He was one of the smartest quarterbacks with IQ-wise and one of the most accurate as well. When healthy, uh, one could argue he was pretty damn good. So I agree. By the way, Stephon Diggs' Twitter has now turned normal. That's your that's your update on There's Stephon no more Diggs. cryptic Stephon yep. Diggs. It's turned tweet. completely normal. I am going to keep following him to laugh at how normal his Twitter is now. <laughs> For the entire time he was in Minnesota, not just when he was trying to get out, his Twitter was weird, it was cryptic, it was like one-liners that no one understood. All of a sudden, now these things, these are the things he's tweeting. He tweets out, you know who was a dog in a good way? Steve Smith, the receiver. Totally agree. Okay, it was a good take. Um, he asks people to give their top five wide receivers and then says he's surprised that more people don't say Julio Jones. Okay, he says the Randy Moss and Jerry Rice debate will go on forever. Very reasonable. These are football takes. Where has this been, Stefan? You could have mixed in some good football takes with wackiness. Uh, he says that um, he goes back and forth with Deion Sanders about their top five wide receivers. Like, Oh, he's just a regular tweeter now. This sounds so, there, so normal. So there is your update on what's going on with Stefan Diggs now that he's with another team. He has uh, snapped out of it online, I guess. But... You know, the the Bradford thing will forever be interesting to me. And this might be one of those. It it didn't turn out to be an old takes exposed, but it could have been for me because in 2000, going into 2017, even though I had watched him have the best training camp that I've ever seen anyone have, uh, I cannot describe the throws that he made into tight windows down the field accurately. I mean, the receivers were just thrilled of what they thought was going to happen in 2017. He was working with Pat Shermer. But I thought the first game. 
Exactly. He saw and, everything that we would have seen for the rest of the season in that first game when he dominated the Saints. And I think it was, what, 346 yards, yeah. three touchdowns, something crazy like mm-hmm. that. So, you know, I mean, he showed what potentially could have been there. And then after Case Keenum, who's half as talented, uh, you know, takes them 13-3, and three, I mean, maybe you are even better with Bradford. Maybe we're talking about a repeat of the 98 season. You go 15-1 and one yeah. or something. They had the best defense in the league, and there were many games throughout that season where Keenum sputtered, and they sort of made their way through it. Remember down in Atlanta, they couldn't score in the first half, but Carolina. their defense was great. Carolina is a good example. Even Cincinnati, that year they didn't play that well, that Bradford probably keeps them going. So I'll always wonder, I thought after 2016... Eh, your ceiling is kind of limited with Bradford. You should be sort of looking for other quarterbacks. And maybe it would have turned out to be very, very wrong because of the level of talent on that team. So uh, I guess I always get a little bit annoyed when people don't really look at the whole picture on Sam Bradford and just rip into him. So that's how I want to end the show. That's one of those Myron Metcalf random football takes, but there will be many more. Uh, So a reminder before I sign off, hand it over to Mackie and Judd with Rami that we'll still be on. We have exceptions because we're allowed to come to work still, luckily, to do sports shows for you. So we will continue to do that and stay safe, stay indoors, and uh, also reach out to friends and family and things like that on the phone. You've got time to do that and also appreciate Governor Walls and his leadership through this thing that we're dealing with because it's not easy. And also, best to Carl Anthony Towns, whose mother is fighting uh, coronavirus right now. It sounds pretty serious. So... Just wanted to tack that on at the end, and we will catch you tomorrow. Fun show. Jeremiah Searles will be on, uh, and Courtney Cronin as well. We will talk to you then on Purple Daily. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Change your vehicle's oil before your summer road trip and save money now with Pennzoil and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get five quarts of Pennzoil Platinum Full Synthetic for just $22.95 after mail-in rebate. Save money and protect your engine against sludge and wear with a synthetic oil change. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts today or O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.